Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Now, one of the uh, really great things about the design and manufacturing sector is how it has the ability to take ideas and concepts and turn them into physical stuff, products that you or I could uh, go and buy. Uh, we know that demand for products is on the rise, uh, driven by this increasing global population that we hear about. Estimates suggest that there's going to be about 10 billion of us living on planet Earth in the not too distant future. Uh, now, all of the things that we want, we know that they need to be produced. And here's where the, some of the dilemma starts to come in, because the resources we need to meet those levels of demand are finite. We're also becoming increasingly aware of and concerned by the impact that we're having on climate change just by the production of these things. Now, there are companies out there like BrewDog and Google who are definitely doing something very public about offsetting their carbon footprints. But the question of today is sustainability and how. How can more of us embrace the ideas of sustainability and apply them to the way we design, make, and sell stuff? So to help me have that conversation, I'd like to introduce my two very special guests for today. We've got James Selker, the CEO at the Manufacturing Technologies Association, and Denise Taylor, who's the Director of Wild Connections. So welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great. So, Denise, perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about Wild Connections and your links to the manufacturing sector. Okay, thank you. And, and thank you for inviting me to take part in this um, podcast. Um, so, yes, I'm Denise Taylor from Wild Connections. Um, Wild Connections is a um, relatively new business, and it's been born out of my um, professional roles in two key areas, um, and that's around marketing which has been in the manufacturing sector for the last 15, 20 years. And from my professional side on wildlife conservation and um, education around biodiversity. And for the last 35 years, I've done a lot of international work, working with large predator and large carnivore projects around the world. Um, so when we talk about sustainability, that's kind of underpins everything that I do. And, and that's the, the kind of position that I come from. So, so Wild Connections has been born out of all of that. And we're now looking to help manufacturers to do better and to be better um, through implementing sustainability strategies and action plans and, and putting their reporting in place and using best practice to do that. Thank you, Denise. And James, if we could ask you to, uh, to tell us a bit about the NTA and some of the things you've been up to recently. Sure. Um, thank you very much, Asif. The Manufacturing Technologies Association, uh, we're, a, we're a membership organization and not-for-profit. 
and our members are the uh, companies, the UK companies, that provide all the sophisticated manufacturing technology into UK engineering-based manufacturing. So it's where manufacturing begins. And so specifically anything from a machine tool, an additive manufacturing machine, uh, sophisticated software for design and uh, manufacturing, um, <clears throat> surface engineering, robotics, you name it, anything in an engineering-based factory uh, is within our membership. Thanks, James. So it seems like we've got two perfect guests to kind of debate this topic. So let's uh, kick off. And Denise, I, I, maybe I could start with you. Um, I, I think a lot of people might view sustainability, especially in the, the, the SME base, as a specific thing. Uh, it could be like a waste recycling or zero waste to landfill, stuff like that. But sustainability manufacturing is actually a lot bigger than just those very you know specific definitions. So I wondered if you could kick us off by helping us understand what sustainability manufacturing is and what it might look like. Okay, so um, sustainability is quite a broad subject. It covers many different areas. And I think the issue we've got in manufacturing at the moment is around the language and the terminology. Um, of sustainability because you can have a sustainable business from a financial point of view but that's not necessarily looking at sustainability from an environmental and socio-economic point of view so when we talk about sustainability and manufacturing from from the area that I'm covering it's it's from that socio-economic and what Elkington calls that triple bottom line so it's environment social and financial or people profit and planet um, and that's kind of where this is all situated and I think what happens with manufacturers at the moment particularly SMEs is that we look at one particular area and that's the carbon footprint and you know lowering carbon um, footprints and looking at the net zero and how we can you know implement lighting systems that reduce the energy load and look at manufacturing operations that do the same thing um, and indeed I was on a webinar the other day that was doing that very thing it was very very narrow in it in its view of what sustainability is and so I think we need to perhaps look at the language that we use when we talk about sustainability and I think that needs to be addressed because I think it's it's too big a term and covers too much. Um, I don't know what the answer is to that in terms of what we should use, but there's a lot of confusion. It's like when we first started to talk about Industry 4.0 and you know, a few people in the manufacturing sector got that, the large companies started to get it and then trying to then educate the SMEs was a long process um over over many years and i still think those conversations are going on and i think with sustainability we're going to have the the same sort of conversations and indeed we are doing interesting so um maybe, maybe we're being way too broad and not sort of specific enough to kind of enable some some of the sector to to adopt uh, sustainability so and james uh, you know it seems like the idea of sustainability however it's defined the idea of sustainability feels like it's elevated itself from um, you know, being very open. Some things that manufacturers would talk about and have on their mission statements and PowerPoints and websites, but you know, do actually very little about, to something that it feels like it's really central to a lot of the kind of um, uh, recovery and development plans 
um, that companies have around their strategy. Are you seeing the same thing? And if you are, what, you, what do you think has caused that sudden elevation of this, this important topic? Um, that's a very good question. Can I start by saying that I thought Denise's very lucid and incisive uh, introduction to the subject um, is incredibly useful because I would term the whole thing as common sense. Why would we all want to kill ourselves? Um, and I, as far as the manufacturing is concerned, I divide it into two topics, um, bearing in mind what Denise has said. Uh, one is the footprint of the actual factory and the process itself. And then also bear in mind that the solutions that we're all going to need in order to reverse the damage that we've done as the human race is almost certainly going to come from the engineering community and quite possibly the UK. So this is where it starts to get exciting. And the sort of virtuous circle that Denise has mentioned of the fact that the less energy you use, the less it costs. And so what's not to like? So coming back from the 60s when sustainability or, or, or low environmental impact was, was a highly specialist and sometimes laughed upon subject until it's finally hit home into, a, into the crisis that it actually is. And, I, and, and anecdotally, if you take a UK company like AES Seal, who I think you know quite well, Atif, um, they not only look at all the production efficiencies because that's what you need to do to stay competitive. And by being more efficient in your processes, you're almost certainly using less waste, less material, less energy, and so forth. So that's a good start because it's totally aligned with business objective in the engineering manufacturing process world. But then there's also the environmental impact, which which I love the Denise's passion of, of looking at actually within the factory grounds, looking at the recycling of water, and the use of local resources in a sustainable way. So AES are a good example of that. I went round a company recently in India making machine tools, and they were monitoring the atmosphere for pollution because as I'm sure you're aware in India, when you're near a main road, the pollution is horrific. And what they've done is they've planted almost like a mini cops all around the factory um, perimeter in, in a certain types of plants that actually means that sustainably, the atmosphere for the, for the employees in the factory, the air is very clean. Uh, and I love, and I think it all has to come from the leadership, like everything. If the leader of the business is interested in actually doing the right thing, which I would argue most are, all we need to do is to continue to highlight the opportunities that are aligned with their business objectives. It shouldn't be hard, and I know it is hard, but I, I, I don't know why we make such a big meal of it because it's just such a no-brainer. Great, that's a great response, actually. Um, so what what I'm I'm sort of hearing from what you're saying, James, is that if we take the um, the sort of environmental, social, and financial uh, uh, prongs of sustainability that Denise you explained, it sounds like some of that messaging is finally hitting home, and, and the manufacturers are making the connections between this important thing and and kind of like the business. Again, if I if I could sound quite mercenary there their profit and loss statement or their balance sheet. So I think it seems like people are making a correlation between those two things. So Denise, you know, we heard from James about you know, one example of a company that's doing really well. And I know you work with lots of manufacturers. Is there anyone else out there that you think is, who's doing it really well that we could say, wow, look at them? 
Yeah, there, there's lots of really great examples, but two that I've come across just recently, and one is just down the road from me in the Midlands in Leamington Spa, is um, a furniture manufacturer called Vitsu. And um, they've been um, in production for 60 years. And when we talk about leadership, that's been driven purely by that leadership strategy of wanting to do the right thing. And so they haven't built obsolescence into their products. Um, they've done exactly the opposite. They've built their products for life and their customers come from you know those raving fans that you know they they refer to one another and uh, and so you know they they have customers for decades and um they've gone into it wholeheartedly even as far as um re-engineering their factory to have lighting in the roof that takes advantage of natural light and natural energy um so they've gone as far as repurposing the factory it's it's a really great case example and another one i've come across just recently in a in a webinar seem to be attending a lot of these just just lately is um a great company called crystal doors and they're based up in um uh in greater manchester and again it's it's driven by the leadership i think this is, really is the key to all of this and um and the guy there richard he's um very very passionate about sustainability he's implemented um lots of initiatives across the business he's now going for um b core certification so the b core is is an organization that for sustainable businesses they put you through a process and and then you become aligned with them um he's it, installed a biomass um, generator um, to the factory to supply energy. So, so, you know, we have got the evangelists out there and those that are the beacons of light that can show the way for others because the corporations are, you know, they're taking sustainability on board. You look at Unilever, who's um, working around the sustainability goals. So when you go onto their um, sustainability plan if you look on their website they're kind of like the gold benchmark at the moment for sustainability reporting and it's the those corporates that are driving the SMEs so so they're taking it on board and the SMEs are coming through but we need more ambassadors at that SME level I think for manufacturers as James said earlier it doesn't sound like rocket science it's not but why are so many people struggling with becoming more sustainable in the, in the business. Again, just focused on the SME design and manufacturing sector. Um, why are so many people struggling with it? I, I think it's historical. I think from, from the research I'm doing at the moment, and I'm very involved on this journey in terms of being immersed in it from my own learning. So I'm doing lots of training at the moment around sustainability um, to become a fully qualified practitioner. Um, and so, I, you know, you look at the new thinking that's coming through about our economic models, and we've already touched on the financial models. And, and I think part of the issue is that we see this as a cost and not as something that can boost competitive advantage and actually be cost saving and actually be profitable. So when you look at Unilever, I'll take Unilever again as an example, their lines that they've um, introduced that are sustainable, they're, they're designed and made from a sustainability point of view, are their most profitable lines. And so there is a really strong business case for this um, in terms of the production and the design. 
and and what can be achieved and then you've got all the other stuff around the factory and reducing carbon footprint and etc cetera, etc cetera. but what i find exciting about the manufacturing side is we've got so much opportunity at the moment around the circular economy and around new product innovation to really do better at designing and become more regenerative and not just being less bad but actually doing good and that's the opportunity sounds like an incredible opportunity um so james i'm thinking about your membership and the people you kind of support on a daily basis do you think they they relate to the term the actual word sustainability or 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 should we be calling it something else what's your view Uh, that's a great question asif the temptation would be to say call it something else Uh, however the more terms that we put out there the more confusing it will be for the call to action and uh, again uh, this isn't a very good debate because i agree with everything that denise is saying um when you're talking about you know when you say why don't the smes no-brainer adopt this this uh uh, uh, these practices that we know are out there and will do their business good in all sorts of ways i think the answer might partly lie in it's easier to think short term and when you're short of bandwidth on a leadership or a resource point of view it's easier to carry on doing what you're doing if that's going to make you survive financially and and therefore it might not just it might not be that they they don't want to get involved just like uh, uh, adoption of advanced technology you and i know asif that when you use advanced software or advanced hardware in the engineering process it often not only leads to a sort of percentage change 10 20 30 percent we talk and we go wow 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 the last investment i made personally which was some time ago had a factor of four improvement in terms of process efficiency and it's it's that why are people resisting when money is so cheap technology has never been more powerful and money has never really been more available what are everybody should be investing in re-equipping their factories in, in the most advanced way so you take some of your software that is involved in modeling well that that saves months of getting a product to market it saves waste materials it saves wasted labor it saves all those sorts of things it's an utter no-brainer but i think that when we're talking about an investment minded community i think there are two major forces that we have to encourage to become more active one is of course the oems who uh lead and teach their supply chains um and 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 our members can be very much part of that and secondly i think that the the excellent fabric we have in this country from the hvmcs to the uh local leps and central government trying to stimulate innovation and, and manufacturing um i think if they can help sustainable type i4 in uh, um, uh, investments and it needs to be more than the annual investment allowance which is something we're always keen on but if you look at the environment now where people a lot of people are struggling out there you need to make a profit before you can um, benefit from that so if the local leps who have a lot of money to put into the community say how do you fancy being world-class competitive 
um, and sustainable at the same time. We've just released a, a very well-written report, which we commissioned, not wrote, I hasten to add, um, that looked at uh, sustainable opportunities on decarbonisation in the UK for UK manufacturing. And that clearly indicates a macro opportunity of between eight and 15 billion pounds. And, and you just can't ignore that. When you've got you know, some of the areas of the market that are weak, such as automotive and civil aerospace, if I was a manufacturer, I would be leaping in and taking all these brilliant schemes uh, and resources that are available from not only our members, um, but also their local LEPs. And we've got, I mean, the, the, the Catapult Network is the largest of its type in Europe. That's something we should be shouting about. Our, our innovation and ingenuity is just brilliant. And so with, with business opportunities aligned like that, that are also no-brainer sustainability, we've got, a, we should have a bright future. Well, one of the really nice things about hosting these podcasts is um, I always finish feeling so motivated. I'm <laughs> feeling very motivated right now. So th thanks for that answer, James. You mentioned something really interesting uh, that's very top of mind for a lot of companies, um, and that's supply chains. Now, we, we've, we've heard how the supply chain network globally has been impacted by COVID and it's kind of put a spotlight on the fragility of those supply chains. And, and whilst people are looking at building and adding resilience back into those supply chains, whatever that might mean, that may mean. Denise, from your point of view, how can we fold sustainability back into the recreation of resilient supply chains? What can we do that's currently missing that would add sustainability to that part of our business as well? Um, with regard to supply chains, what I'm seeing at the moment is that it is being driven um, by the OEMs and the tier ones because they're already implementing sustainability strategies. So from a business case point of view, they're um, asking their supply chains not only to comply where that's possible, but they're encouraging their supply chains to, to be more sustainable. So I think there's a role that the OEMs and the larger companies can play in that encouragement and helping, and you, we've mentioned it earlier anyway, helping to guide and educate because they, they kind of already know all this stuff. They've got you know sustainability directors and sustainability managers. Those jobs are on the increase at the moment. So, so they can play a role in educating. Um, as far as implementing, once you start to then filter those strategies down the supply chain, it, it's looking at the areas that the SMEs can focus on. So when you take the broad spectrum of the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, and there's 17 of those, number nine is industry innovation, and um, uh, it's industry innovation and infrastructure. So when you look at that, which firmly situates manufacturing within that, SMEs can then look at which ones they can comply with in terms of those goals to satisfy that supply chain higher up. So they don't need to do all 17 because they're too small to do that, but they can cherry pick the ones that they can do and then they can take a phased approach. So the guys that I spoke about earlier, Crystal Doors, 
of started in a smaller way and doing what they can do. So it might be reducing your carbon footprint and going on, you know, low carbon projects and, and doing an assessment of your factory and doing the stuff you can do now today and, and looking at how you can, you know, educate your own teams and your staff um, so they can do better individually and look at processes and procedures and then work your way up those ladders to, you know, implementing more and more of those sustainability development goals till you get to the point that you're then at a level where you can be reporting um, to the global um, reporting institute which is kind of the, the the top level but in terms of putting practices in there's 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 lots out there that SMEs can take a look at and good practice. And I've mentioned a few companies already, Unilever being one of them. Marks and Spencers have also got their plan A, which is which is a really good model to follow. And SMEs can look at those and see, right, okay, well, we can do this today and we could do that, you know, maybe next year and 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 start to put a strategy in place. Would I need to have a sustainability expert in my business? So imagine I'm a, I am an SME. If I wanted to do one of these things, would I necessarily need to have literally a sustainability expert in my business? Or, for example, James mentions that right at the top of this uh, call, you know, we've got hundreds of engineers in this country, thousands of engineers, super bright, talented people. Um, is this something an engineer could approach themselves? Yeah, they, they can approach and there is help out there. We're, we're helping a manufacturing businesses to do that and, and put things in place. They don't necessarily have to employ anybody um, separately, I think when you get to a certain size of business, then a lot of companies are taking on sustainability uh, managers and directors now. Um, so, so we're seeing that starting to happen. But, you know, if you're a small SME and you've got a handful of people, um, you can have a look at this. It, it makes business sense anyway to start looking at sustainability for all the reasons that James mentioned earlier in that, you know, why would you not? It's a no brainer. Um, it, it helps you to have a look at your business from a strategy and a good practice point of view. So, you know, from a very simple point of view, if you you've got machines running all the time and you do an audit on those as to, you know, how they're running, when they're running. And you've got a machine running overnight that shouldn't be running overnight. If, you know, if that's brought to the fore. You know, that's that's something that you can address straight away. And that's simple stuff. And then you can just work your way up um, in terms of what engineers can do is is just to educate themselves and just to have a look there's a lot of information out there um you know organizations like the mta are doing a lot of work um make uk the universities are you know helping manufacturers as well so you know we've got quite a few in the midlands um that have got sustainability programs whether that's low carbon at aston university we've got ebri which is the energy and bioproducts research institute and they're working with smes and supporting them um, with energy initiatives and and as james said you've got the high value manufacturing catapults as well with lots of initiatives so it, it depends where you're at and and the the appetite of the leaders um, I, th I think what we're probably going to see is that the supply chain will drive the um, need to do something first of all. So uh, we've got a client who they wanted to become a preferred supplier for um, an, S an OAE in, in their supply chain and they had to have a code of conduct in place So before they could become a preferred supplier. So now they've put that in place. So that's been driven from higher up the supply chain. 
Um, so I think we'll see that happening first of all. And then you've got the leaders that are the ambassadors and the evangelists who can help to bring others along um, in terms of what they're doing and, and set by example. Thank, thank you, Denise. So, James, you mentioned earlier that uh, um, the, the report the MTA commissioned, it, it does show a huge potential if we did focus on uh, some of these topics, uh, even green, green, green energy. But if we're reliant on, for example, the OEMs to drive some of this change and shift, do we think it's likely that we'll get there in a quick enough time? And if not, what can we do to accelerate that move to this kind of, to take as much of that opportunity that you mentioned? As ever, I only discuss things on the most basic and simple terms, see you'll have to forgive me. Um, but if, if we start off with more good news, which is you mentioned about uh, fragility of supply chains that have been highlighted by the COVID pandemic, that actually plays again into the hands of manufacturing, advanced manufacturing technology, which, as we all know, for the last 100 years has been working towards this, this mythical ability to do something called mass customization, which is to be able to make something in as low as possible quantity viably. And from uh, my son ordering some trainers that are completely bespoke for only a small premium on off the shelf, this technology is really here today. And so that ability to make as close as you can to demand, again, which is what we used to call lean in the 80s, is another massive plus because the technology now finally truly supports that. And that, again, in itself, really works towards sustainability and stops overproduction and all the waste that goes with that. So with this faster trend of deglobalization, there is going to be, it's not going to be the end of global trade, of course, but it is going to change its face and there will be a lot more opportunity for UK manufacturers as a result. Now, a lot of the big um, spenders in the UK happen to be the government. You know, we take HS2. Um, I saw Alan Cook speak the other day, who is a fantastic man, and said they are absolutely committed to buying 90% in the UK. Now, that's just fantastic news. So, so when we say, well, are the OEMs going to be a little bit slow? I think simply by the government saying uh, you need to state on your tenders that you comply with uh, a sustainable standard. So I was going to come back to measurement, which is we need clear international standards that actually lead us towards true carbon zero. We've had a lot of confusion in the past. Were diesels clean? I remember 10 years ago, we were all encouraged to go for diesel cars because they were more economic. And, and that's proved to be an absolute, you know, not necessarily true. So if we can come up with international and national standards that allow us to truly behave properly. And then within the process, with, with I4, uh, sorry, Industry 4 technology, where uh, data is being collected at a rate never seen before in our existence, we can start to measure processes and therefore control them. I think Denise mentioned it, that you, know, you should be able to tell whether you've left a machine on at night. All this actually, smart factories will be able to do that with... AI or, or indeed human operation. But first of all, we must be able to measure it before we can control anything. And then, uh, and obviously turn that data into information. So my two big things are, there's never been a greater opportunity to re-industrialize in the most sustainable way in the UK, thanks to the technology. And with the government's uh, mood at the moment because of COVID, 
that actually is massively enhanced because they realize that the economic impact of manufacturing in the UK is a huge multiplier. We, we discussed manufacturing as less than 10% of UK GDP, but a report that we did uh, a couple of years ago uh, definitively shows that the positive impact on GDP, if you include the direct supply chain, is 15%. And then if you if you want to, to sort of be a bit more optim optimistic and the economy, economists hate what's called the inferred positive impact, which is all the pubs and restaurants around new factories, it goes to 23%. And so I would urge people to read both of those reports that are available on our website, which are a good signpost. And we, BSI, we're very lucky that we've got some amazing members, not just uh, Autodesk and so forth, but BSI, who we work very closely with, doing our best to try and get standards so that we can all be aligned. It just needs alignment. And I think the timing, ironically, could never be better. Great comments there, James. So I'm going to come to the... Oh, sorry, Denise, did you want to say something? Yeah, I'll just say I completely agree with, with um, James on that, that the timing couldn't be better right now, despite all the challenges we've got. Yeah, a great time for opportunity, despite some of the you know, difficult things we've had to endure. So um, it brings me to the, sort of the last question I want to ask both of you, and uh, this is the section I've decided to call the ultimate power section. Um, so imagine the two of you ran the UK manufacturing industry, and anything you said would be implemented tomorrow by everybody, but you could only make one suggestion. So, uh, Denise, I'll start with you. Um, if, as a manufacturer, an SME leader, we've talked about leadership, a common theme across all the podcasts. What is the first thing I should do as a leader of a business to get myself further along that journey of sustainability. Okay, I was going to do something more overarching. <laughs> um, for me, some of the key areas are um, the, the the new product innovation and how that feeds into the circular economy. So, if you've got a manufacturer who's designing, and you've got that design engineering side of it, I I think it starts with first of all, designing out the waste when we've got new product innovation, wherever we can, it's not always possible. And then when you've got that circular economy, if we have got waste streams, then how can we design products so that they can either go back into um, bio recycling or technical recycling? Um, and so I think it all starts with that. Um, and then as, as manufacturers, so I, I like to call that kind of responsible manufacturing and responsible design engineering. And, and then you've got everything to do with your footprint then um, for your factory, wherever that is um, based and what you can do to reduce that carbon footprint um, within that factory. And that comes down then to, as James mentioned earlier, and as you well know, um, what technologies can you invest in and implement um, and how can you incorporate those into your manufacturing processes? And again, so you can drive that circular economy. So even in the manufacturing process, how can we take that waste and either remanufacture it or it goes somewhere else to be reused um, so it stays out of landfill as long as possible? Great suggestion. Um, James, same question to you. What's the one thing you would advise leadership to do right now to get themselves further along their sustainability journey? Very simple. I would suggest igniting your workforce. 
if that passion that you have as a leader can can be infectious through your organization suddenly you've got a multiplier and you start a little army in terms of moving in the right direction and i'll give you an example of that when i worked at a company called uh, reliance precision here in yorkshire um, we were putting up an extension and this was probably 15 years ago and you mentioned asif earlier that how come we can't do this if we've got bright bright engineers in the uk well i took a bright electronics engineer who was running the assembly department who was ignited on the whole subject of uh, sustainability and i said right you are going to project manage what technologies we deploy in this uh, project so we went for a triple skinned uh, thing triple skinned a triple glazing um, heat pumps stored our own energy we, we consulted sheffield university we looked at scandinavian technology and so a bit like an iphone none of the technologies we deployed were were, were novel but the combination of them i think was the first in the uk and it was really exciting so we stored the energy in a water tank below the building and pumped it out again uh, to heat the building over the weekend and if we had excess heat as well we put it back in the um in the in the machine shop and so we had literally a zero carbon building and we didn't expect it to be we just wanted to do the right thing as an experiment now mm. The payback um, wasn't expected to be much under 20 years, but actually it's been a lot less. The boiler that runs that extension is no bigger than my boiler at home. The, the gas bill to heat for a winter was £10, honestly. So people on the computers heat the place. Um, that type of passion that you can get in your workforce, there is always more in people. If you can get them wanting to get out of bed in the morning and go, I cannot wait to get into work today because I'm going to do something different and I'm going to make a difference. Gee, because if you can do that, you, there's no stopping you. So to answer your question, Asif, ignite your workforce. I love that suggestion because it's potentially one of the ways to tie into something else that you've both been talking about is like focus on in a, bring some innovative thinking to problems. And I think if you've got potentially your entire workforce looking to solve a problem, it is like the ultimate design team, isn't it? Um, you get so many perspectives and, and potentially you have a, a chance to spot some of these sort of you know, disruptive, transformative types of innovation that, that you'd see. Go ahead, Denise. Yeah, that starts with purpose as well. So one of the things that has been missing in in, in some of the discussions around sustainability previously, um, it's coming more to the fore now, is purpose and what you'll find in the leaders in the organisations that are doing this. And James is a, has just a classic example of that from what he's just explained and outlined um, is is that purpose um, what is that mission for the business and I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and his infinite game and you know start with why and all of those things and and I think a lot of businesses are so busy getting on with the doing um, that they forget sometimes to stand back and look at why are we doing what we're doing and, and that very much feeds into that passion and igniting that passion that James talks about, because without that purpose and direction and that vision, um, you, it's hard to ignite that passion because you need that to, to kick things off. Yeah, great comment. Great comment. So I, I got the, uh, again, the point of the podcast where I now need to try and summarize all the sort of pearls of wisdom that we've had from both James and Denise. So, so here we go. So sustainability. It's much broader 
than the perhaps very simple, specific views that we might carry around in our minds. It's, it's broad enough to include environmental considerations, social considerations, and financial considerations. So that's maybe the first thing that we all need to think about. So let's reset our definition of sustainability. You could do it for its own sake, but it sounds like if you have a purpose and a vision and a mission of your company fueled by the leader, that would be a great way to maybe accelerate your journey to sustainability. So find a purpose and pick something that you're already working on and start with it. And one of those things could be, as Denise said, take a look at your product. Potentially, you could take a look at a product and look at how you could, uh, I love the term design for life that you mentioned earlier, Denise. How could you bring this kind of design for life thinking into it as an ex-designer? I, I love the term design. And then perhaps get your entire team together and, as James said, ignite your workforce around the mission of, you know, we're going to become a more sustainable company. And ultimately, it seems that the buying power, the consumers, are more swayed by these things than ever before. Best price on its own doesn't seem to be the deciding factor. Consumers seem to have a conscience these days and they are willing to invest their money more in companies that seem to be displaying these things. So... I can't see anything other than an upside and an opportunity for it. So um, I hope I summarised that reasonably well. Uh, and I'd like to thank you both, uh, uh, James and Denise, for such a great conversation. These are really motivating sessions to do. So thank you for, for, for joining. Thank you. Thank you very much, Asif. And we will see you all on the next podcast. But don't forget to subscribe via your favourite platform. Thanks very much. Thank you.